This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. I was cracking beer lovers. What up? I'm tired. <laughs> it is currently 1.40 a.m., and this is our last episode of seven consecutive episodes recorded. So, yes... And it is Friday night. We are ready to be done. Yeah. And yet we are excited to have this conversation. Or I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm excited for you to have this conversation. I'm excited to hear this conversation. Let's do it. So when we were at HB the other night, and if you don't follow us on our socials, church is the church account. Clayton is JCWare99. And I'm Pastor Cullen. We post additional content on our Instagram accounts that like never get posted to podcasts or anything like that. So stories, all that kind of stuff, posts, reels, we post original content. I posted the other day when we went to make the beer run for this. This is a really unique beer. It is very unique. So it's by Martin House Brewing Company, which which we've had several times before. And this is called the Mango Salty Lady. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, love mango. Like he really does love mango. Like, I a lot. love it's probably his favorite fruit. If I had to guess, uh, yeah, I don't want to have to deal with it fresh. But if somebody is offering me fresh fruit that's already cut up and like perfect ripeness. And they've got it out before me on a platter, and mango's an option. Yeah, I'm probably picking mango. You're probably right. I don't like messing with it. It's a pain in the butt. It's kind of a pain, but yeah, I love mango. Yeah. And this is a sour. Yeah. If you know, I love IPAs, and I love sours. They're like arguably my two favorite kind of beers right now. Maybe it's because we're we're like just coming out of summer. I don't really like sours outside of summer. I like IPAs year round, but I don't really like sours outside of summer. This says a refreshing sour beer. It's literally all it says. Yeah, it is more than a pint. It's nineteen point two fluid ounces, but it's only five point two percent ABV. So, um. Mango is a pitted fruit. It is a stone fruit. I my suspicion I'm gonna love this. Cool. Um, sorry, I just had an epiphany that we need to talk about off camera. Remind me about founders. Got it. Um. So yeah, mine. This is a new brewery to us, um, the Belching Beaver Brewery. Um, I think Bravo. That, uh, the I think Belching. That, Beaver. I think that's really oh funny. Oh my god. Um so well done. It's a hazy IPA, which if you know me, you know I love hazies. Um the Sierra Nevada hazy little thing is one of my favorites. Mm. Uh love I'm here that for beer. the haze. Love that beer. And the the name of this beer, I love it. I love it. I love it. Hazers going to haze. Oh. Genius. Hazer's going to haze. Genius. Um, and if you can see on YouTube, there are two beavers 
um, looking like they're sitting at a bar, dressed like bikers, <laughs> and one of them's pouring beer on the other one's head. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, and then there's some graffiti that is... It's like mowing curly. <laughs> <laughs> there's some graffiti here that I think that they're setting up that the beavers <laughs> sprayed on the wall. Oh, nice. <laughs> Um, Yo, I'm here for the graffiti memes. It says, damn good times, but it's spelled D-A-M, as in like a water dam. That's just fantastic branding. Just fantastic um, that branding. Is just, and with the name Belching Beaver, I expected it to be like an import from Canada or something. <laughs> oh, um, I bet it's going to be carbonated as mess. Oceanside, California is where it's from. I bet it's gonna be. I bet it's gonna be carbonated. I think it's mess. gonna be super carb. I bet it's gonna head up. <gasps> oh, dude! Oh, yes, you're gonna love this. At the Beave, <laughs> we love hazy IPAs. Uh, so we decided to introduce a year-round hazy style, full of juicy awesomeness. Hazer's gonna haze will be a rotating hop series, and will showcase new hop combinations throughout the year. Same label, different hop profiles. We love craft beer and making new styles is what it's all about. We are fans of Hazy's and we hope Hazer's going to haze will make you fans too. Cheers, Tom. Well freaking done. Um, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Um, so that means that my rating of this beer is not going to be um, very valid. Because the hop combinations are going to change in the exact same label. Um, They're also not going to be super valid because you've already decided that beer is awesome because of the branding. <laughs> that's also very true. Um, <laughs> that's also very true. All right, I'm ready. You ready? Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Ooh. Whoa. Oh my God. When they said juicy, they meant flipping juicy. Taste what? We don't want to like describe it nah, ours first. Nah. You he, might get flavor. You need to. Take that apart you first. need to taste mine. All right. You need to taste this too. So I'm going to take a sip of water first, though. Dude, that's interesting on the nose. That's super interesting, too. <laughs> I I'm so fascinated with Clayton's beer. He may not have much beer left when I give it uh, back. Uh, to no, him. sir. I'm giving this back to you right now. That is probably the first sour that I can say I actually enjoy. That's why I said immediately you need to taste this. Um, that is a very good. I like that a lot. I knew Kinda Clayton. Me I knew Clayton be con could be converted to the dark side. 
It was just a matter of which beer was going to do it for him. I really, I don't know if I'd want that all the time. I no, it's not a, sours are not a beer you want all the time. Yeah, it weirdly reminds me of breakfast, like a fruity cereal, like mm. kind of on the finish. Interesting. I don't know that I picked that up. Okay, so do you want to rate yours? I need a second. I need to go back to water though. That like killed my palate. I think for mm. mine, mm. it's fruity pebbles. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. Seven, eight on mine. Um, it's really good. Which, if you don't know, seven, eight is a very good score for me. Like, if you're getting an eight, eight's a monster score. I don't give out eights. I really don't give out nines or tens, but seven, eight, very good score, very good beer. Love everything about it. I need another minute. Hold on. <clears throat> I want to do this beer justice. Well, hurry up. We're 13 minutes into the podcast. And we haven't even talked about theology yet. Okay. What I love about this, about this hop combination in this beer, is when they said it was juicy. It's juicy. They freaking meant it. It is very juicy. It is so, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean this in a the best way possible. It is so fruity. Yeah. You, and you just, this is another thing I want to mention. If you if you're not drinking beer regularly, mm. you don't know what we mean when we say juicy. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that like when I talk about pretzel stouts, mm. I what's what's the thing I tell the, chewy. They're chewy. You don't you don't know what we mean unless you're pretzel drinking stouts these feel beer. Like you're drinking oil. Yeah, like. you you just you don't know what these things like out our language of describing them, you just don't know if you're not drinking them. Unless you've had it, you can't you don't have like a, a construct for it. So if you're looking for the epitome of a juicy IPA, get, try to get your hands on try this. Try to one get this in this hop combination. It's very, very juicy. Uh and you'll know exactly what I mean. Yep. A hundred percent. Um it is extremely, extremely juicy. Um, and very unique in that sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've drank a lot of IPAs that were called juicy IPAs. Jeez, dude. That's the juiciest. So remember last week, listener, Cohen, it was 45 minutes ago for you, um, when I said that the spring IPA from Main Beer Company was in my top three. Yep. This is probably top two, if not number one now. Ooh. Um, yeah, spring might be Audi. I freaking love this. I don't... That's not making it into my top three. Um, it's I, top ten. I really love this. I'm going... Like eight seven. Ooh. Ooh. That's the biggest score we've ever had on the podcast. 
I'm standing firm at 8-7. That is flipping fantastic. I have nothing bad to say about it, honestly. I'm shooketh. Uh, that's a monster score. Uh, standing firm, 8-7. Like, is, we may never get... You realize we may never get a score higher than that. I'm very comfortable with that. Oh, my gosh. Can we just take a moment of silence to remember this moment? Holy mess. 8-7? Yeah. Okay. That That is creeping into one of my favorite beers I've ever had. Oh. That's high praise. It was not that for me. It was really good. It was not that good for me. Our palates are also really different. They are. That's true. That is unique enough that it sparks interest. Um, and every time I go back to it, I want to come back to it. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. Like, I w- I'm going to have to be careful if I have another. Like with this one, and if I ever have another one, to not drink it so fast because it's that good. I get that. All right, so let's do it. We're almost 20 minutes in. Almost 20 minutes in. Haven't even started talking about theology yet. So, in this conversation about the knowledge of God, one thing we always say on this podcast is that we do theology according to the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Yep. In the first episode, we did tradition. Mm-hmm. That a conversation about God's knowledge actually isn't in the creeds at all. Yep. In the last two episodes, we've done a lot with Scripture. There's a lot more that you could be done with Scripture, mm-hmm. but we've done it with Scripture. And throughout the entire series... We've used reason. We've used reason. Now it's time to talk about experience. Unfortunately, the only real experience we have on this is yours. Is mine to choose from. Um, and my experience is very unique. But the reason I want to talk about it is because we're, we're naive if we think that our experience doesn't have an impact on how we our theology yeah we're just we're naive if we think it doesn't yeah it absolutely does and for me specifically what do i always say i need god to be good and just more than i need him to be anything Mm. i cannot believe that a good and just god would tell his people to do something that was not good and just for them. Right. I was 20 years old. It's in the middle of July. And I decide, I feel like the Lord's telling me that this woman that I've been dating for three years, I need to marry so what do I do as a 20-year-old kid? You go buy a ring. No. I go to my parents. Say, hey, what do you think? Yeah. 
Dad was a little bit more hesitant, but overall supportive. Mom was really supportive. I said, okay, now I'm going to go to her mom. Her mom. Extremely supportive. Then I say, okay, I'm going to go to her dad. And when I go to her dad, I'm like, this is actually a really funny story. This actually is a super funny story. So when I go to her dad and I ask her dad if I can marry his daughter, he's really given over to a guy named Ben Stewart, who Ben Stewart is now the pastor of Passion City Church, the D.C. campus, not the Atlanta campus. That's Louie. Um I'm not really connected to either of those guys anymore, if you're wondering. Um, but I was really connected to him. And, like, he, he had just kind of convinced me that you need to lay out all the pictures, like, everything out on the table. And so when I went and asked Hunter's dad if I could marry her, I took everything, literally, bank statements, like, budgets, bills, all these things. I even took a, a, a projected budget of how I was going to take care of his daughter. I had never heard this before, but wow. Talk about above and beyond. I took ev- like literally everything, and I go, and I lay it all out to him. I show this dude as a 20-year-old man how much money I got. I literally show him yesterday's printout from the bank of how much money I got. Like, I lay it all out there for him. And he looks at me and goes, hey, do you love my daughter? I'm like, yes, sir. Everything I got. He's like, are you going to take care of her? I'm like, yeah. He goes, are you going to continue to try to live your life as a person of faith? Yeah, of course. And he goes, well, damn, son, I didn't need your whole life story. That's all I needed right there. And so I thought it was funny. Even even now, Hunter's dad and I have a great relationship. But in, in that, I remember going, okay, I, I've done everything I know what to do. Like the wisdom would say, I feel like God has told me that this is what I need to do. I've went around to the most like godly people I know that are intimately involved in my life. And they've all said, this is what I need to do. So on August 2nd, 2013, I asked Hunter to marry me. And she said yes. And eight months later, almost to the day, eight months and four days, on June 6th, 2014, we got married. As of November 4th, 2021, we are about two weeks away from being officially divorced from her cheating on me and me asking God, begging God to bring her back and it not happening. Makes you kind of question. Did God know? But here's the piece I've never really worked out, walked out for anyone on a public platform. I've talked a lot about my divorce. I've talked a lot about being cheated on. I've talked a lot about trauma and betrayal trauma. I've talked a lot about all of it. The one thing I haven't talked much about much about 
is what I wanted to write in my vows. Mm. So I remember 21 years old praying to the Lord about my marriage. And I remember feeling impressed by the Lord that the Hosea and Gomer story was vitally important to the story of my marriage and my relationship to Hunter. But I couldn't see it. And so I was making myself Gomer in the story. And I was making Hunter Hosea. And I went and I had told our officiant, who happens to also be my uncle, about this. And long story short, he talked me out of using that story in our vows. Because no matter how I tried to write the story, it was people were always gonna remember that Hosea is the woman and Gom or that Hosea is the man and Gomer's the woman. Jose is the faithful, Gomer's the prostitute. Like, yeah. no matter how I told that story, his fear was that I was calling Hunter a prostitute. Very valid fear. Very valid fear. Isn't it interesting that it just kind of works out? That actually God may have known something that we didn't know? Because actually the Hosea Gomer story is a very valid story of how my marriage played out. Mm. Almost as if God knew something we didn't. Yeah. But yet also, not knowing everything. Because if he knew everything, why would he ever let me enter into a decision to endure that much trauma? Maybe because a conversation about God's knowledge isn't as simple as does God know or not know. I think there are things that God knows that we can't imagine. And I think there are things that we can't imagine that God doesn't know. I think all of the conversation about God's knowledge is dependent upon your own relationship and metaphor with knowledge. Mm. Um, and wherever you sit in your life, if you sit very early in life without much knowledge, if you sit very early in life with an abundance of knowledge, and vice versa, if you sit old in life, late in life with very little knowledge, or late in life with an abundance of knowledge, your relationship to knowledge has an effect on how you think God's relationship with knowledge has an effect on you. Um, I began my deconstruction journey from the question, how can an all-powerful God and an ever-good God allow tragedy to exist in the world? Yeah. In the same way, it's a different question, but it's a similar question. How can an all-knowing God ever ask his people to make a decision in which the result is going to be traumatic if he knows the result will be traumatic? Go Google betrayal trauma 
go Google being cheated on and see if you don't see betrayal trauma very quickly talked about. Like that is a traumatic experience that your most primary attachment, your most primary relationship cheats on you. Like, yeah. You now begin to question, does God know everything? Yeah. And then you see in the narrative these these stories where it's like, wait, well, maybe God doesn't know everything. That's my experience. Yeah. And I will tell you, based upon my experience, I don't think God knows everything. It's just me personally. I'm not saying you have to believe that. That's just where I am. And you can still be firmly orthodox and believe that. Yeah. There's nothing that says that you can't believe that. For me, one of the things that becomes very clear to me is that an all-knowing God asking people to endure trauma, knowing that that's going to happen, actually sacrifices his goodness. And I'm unwilling to compromise the goodness of God. Clayton, why, if at all, I actually don't know the answer to this question. Why do you, or or maybe I, let me ask you this way. Do you in your own faith construct need God to be all-knowing? No, not necessarily. Why? I don't need God to be all-knowing because more than that, I need him to be all-good. Um, and there are times where there are things that God does not seem all good. Um, therefore, I have to do something else with it. And it makes sense to say that God just doesn't know sometimes. Um, and also, because we have Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that, right? like, yeah, that was going to be my point is... It's easy to go, well, God doesn't know. It's easy to go, well, God missed it. It's easy to go, well, God, but. The thing that's not easy to overlook, and look, I, I'm there. I am in deconstruction, I've been through deconstruction, and will continue to deconstruct probably for the rest of my life as much as anyone. I told you the other day, somehow I feel closer to God than ever and yet have more questions about God than ever. Yeah. I don't know why God doesn't know everything, but it's very clear to me that he does not. But in the same point, 
I know 100% that God has 100% revealed that I know that I have Jesus. Mm. And it's Jesus that matters. Yeah. And I can put up with God not knowing. I can put up with all of these questions. I can put up with myself not knowing. Because I know I got Jesus. It's only Jesus. Like, that's literally it. And here's the great thing. Jesus doesn't have to know everything. No. Here's the thing Jesus needs to know. Jesus needs to know that he took on the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. Which according to John's gospel, he does. And Jesus needs to know that in taking on the sins of the world, that he redeemed the sins of the world. Outside of that, I'm okay with God sitting back going, hey, I've given up a lot of my transcendence so I can be in this moment with you. Because when I'm at the bottom of the, I'm, when I'm at the, bo- at the foothill of the mountain and I'm looking up, I don't want God at the top of the mountain going, come on, boy, let's get there. Yeah. I want Jesus standing next to me going, let's climb this together. We got this, bro. We got this. And so if you need God to be on the top of the mountain, you need God to be all-knowing. But if you need Jesus in relationship with you, you don't need Jesus to know everything. You need Jesus standing beside you going, hey, bro, we got this. Yeah. On Wednesday, we talked about um, Henry Nowen's making all things new, and he makes an argument very similar. That God became like us in Jesus so that we could become like him. The eminence of God is one thing and very important um, but what we see in Jesus leads us to divine likeness and he became like us so that we could become like him mm-hmm. 